0: this morning i'd like to talk to you about juggling because it serves my purposes you know there there are different kinds of juggling there's like the juggling that you see a circus so there's that kind of circus juggling for entertainment purposes then another kind of juggling is it is deceptive juggling the purpose of this kind of juggling is just to deceive and that's like juggling the books it's a matter of deception and the third definition of juggling is the one that I would like to use it's to cope with by adroitly balancing adroitly for those of you who are English language challenged means skillfully so essentially what I want to talk about is to cope with by skillfully balancing as we observe ourselves what we learn to do is juggle and the reason we do this is because our level of being is characterized by many eyes well when you've got more than one eye, more than three eyes, suddenly now you become a juggler. So we do this in the work in these three ways that I've already defined. One of the ways is we juggle for entertainment. Do you have any idea how many people listen to these podcasts for entertainment? Intellectual entertainment. That's all it is to them. They have absolutely no desire to work, to practice any of these principles, to look at themselves, to observe themselves. Now, they will imagine that they do, but they would much rather hear these examples and hear these principles and think about these things and talk about them with other people and show their intellectual prowess and get other people interested so that other people think, oh, yeah, well, that's really great. We should do that. Let's do that. Let's get together. Uh, uh, we'll get together once a week and we'll listen to these podcasts and then we'll all talk about them. So what you have there is you have juggling. And you're, what you're doing is you're juggling the ideas, the principles. You're juggling the work and your life. And whats what it is a matter of doing is taking the work into your life, putting it into your system, just juggling it into your system, which moves us gently and easily right into the same one as juggling the books, in other words, deception, we start to deceive ourselves that because we can talk about these ideas, because we know about them, because we spend time listening and reading, because we spend time studying, because we give some kind of attention to these things, we begin to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are actually doing it, that we're actually doing something difficult that we're facing something in ourselves that we don't want to face, that we don't like to face. We'll talk more about this later because this is a, a very deceptive part of us that we all come to in this work if we begin to apply it. You stick with the circus juggling, the strictly entertainment, you don't ever have to worry about getting deceptive about it. But if you do that long enough, you will start to get deceptive about it if you're not careful. And by being careful, I mean that you have to begin to skillfully balance what it is you've found. And as I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So here we are. We find that our level of being is characterized by many eyes. We have no real eye. No real eye means we have no connection of eyes. If you don't have a real eye, you've got all these eyes, and they're all running wild. There's nothing to direct them. There's no real eye to say, you go here, you go there, you do this, you do that. So they're pretty much scattered doing whatever they want to do, whatever they find to do. And that moves right into the contradiction of eyes. So we have no real eye, which leads us to no connection of eyes. And then when we have no connection of eyes, you have this eye who wants to do this. Well, I want to cook dinner. You have other eyes that say, no, I want to cook dinner. Now you have contradiction of eyes. So you have the gardener and the chauffeur who both want to cook dinner now. That happens to be the contradiction of eyes. And unless we have something that we can use to deal with this contradiction. So we see, for example, well, gee, you know, I'm, really, I'm really a nice person really a nice guy, you know. I don't, I don't really wanna hurt anybody. The other day I was talking to someone in the group and I said, well, did you talk to so-and-so? They said, no. And I said, why is that? And they said, well, because blah, 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 and blah, blah. And I said, okay, well, are you gonna talk to them? Yes, I'm gonna do that. And so they did and, and I asked them, I followed up and I said, well, what went up? Well, I was the one with the problem. Oh, really? And of course, this does not mean that the other person doesn't have a problem. All this means is that I did not acknowledge The fact that I'm not a nice person, that I judge other people, that I hold other people to account that I will not hold myself to, that I throw other people out of my life if they don't do what I want them to do. I'm not a nice person. I'm saying it a lot nicer than she did about herself. Because that's her job to talk about herself however she chooses to. If she chooses to label herself in this way or label this I in this way or that way, that's her business, not my business. So what saves us from this madness of seeing... I'm not a nice person, but I am a nice person. What saves us from that is buffers. They enable us to not accept ourselves. This is what buffers do. They give us the ability to not accept ourselves. Yeah, I can tell by the look on your faces that you hadn't thought about this before. Well, wait, I thought they, they kept us from seeing things. Yes, they do. They keep us from seeing our contradictions. Well, what's the purpose of not being able to see our contradictions? It's easier to accept ourselves. What contradictions do we not want to see? Well, I'm a lovely, wonderful, generous, kind, beautiful, intelligent being. That's my image of myself. What's your image of yourself? Something like that. <laughs> and so we have these, these other eyes that contradict that. And so we can't accept that. We find it difficult to accept those eyes that contradict that. That doesn't fit my pictures. That doesn't fit the imaginary eye in order to enable us to not have to deal with that so that we can accept ourselves. So what we do is we fragment ourselves further with buffers. That's what buffers give us the ability to do. They prevent us from seeing ourselves all together at once. This is the most difficult thing that we have to do, to see ourselves all together at once. Okay, we just meditated for an hour. You scanned through your body, part by part, Rarely do we ever feel our body all together at once. It happens, but you know how rare it is. You know how much meditation it takes to get to the point where you can feel your body, all the sensations in your body, inside and out, top to bottom, head to toe, all at once. We just aren't aware all at once. We're aware in bits and pieces. And then, only with great difficulty, with great force expended, to direct our attention and not allow our minds to wander, not allow some noise or some feeling or whatever to drag us off into some train of thought we had no intention of ever going with. Buffers replace real conscience. Real conscience would enable us to see all sides of ourselves together. If we could see all sides of ourselves together, this would destroy false personality and imagination. False personality and imagination can't exist in the light. They can only exist in the darkness. If you could see everything that was there, false personality and imagination would instantly be destroyed the same way that darkness evaporates when lights are turned on. Where does it go? You walk into a dark room and, and, and you hit a light switch, where does the darkness go? Did it move to some other room? The truth about us is that we have false personality and imagination because, just because, we cannot see ourselves altogether at once. And what we can't see, we can imagine, because it's in the dark. And what we can imagine, we will imagine to our credit, to our benefit. We will imagine what makes us look good. And we will be aided in that imagination by our two great enemies, who of course we love as our mother and father, pride and vanity, and their offspring imagination. A well-buffered man is a happy man. At least he's happy with himself, even if he's at war with the world. And why would he be at war with the world? Well, see a well-buffered man for a well-buffered man. Life is very simple. It's your fault. It's very clear to a well-buffered man that everything that's wrong with the world is the world and has nothing whatever to do with himself because he is well-buffered because he cannot see his part in all of the things that are wrong with the world. So a well-buffered man is a happy man. So you come into this work and you expect this work to make you happy. And this work will make you happy if you don't do it. (laughs) The trick is don't do it. Whatever they tell you, do not do the exercises. Whatever they tell you, do not do this work. Do not observe yourself as as if you were observing an interesting stranger. Do not face yourself. Do not tell the truth about yourself. Do not do those things if you wish to remain a happy man, because it will destroy your happiness. Now, should your happiness be destroyed? Well, yes. If it's happiness that only exists in imagination, if it's happiness that is dependent upon darkness, that is dependent upon unconsciousness, that is dependent upon sleep, that is dependent upon hypnosis, if it's that kind of happiness, yes, it should be destroyed. Why? because sooner or later, it's going to cause problems for us. And we have to continue to blame, and blame, and blame, and blame, and blame. We have to continue to put it out there. We have to continue to buffer. Another way to become simpler is through observing eye. We see the contradictions, and we balance our dark and light sides. This is where the skillful balancing comes in. Remember, juggling is also adroitly balancing. This is where adroitly balancing comes in. When you begin to see the good part of yourself, the light part of yourself, the wonderful part of yourself, but then you see the other part of yourself that is so contradictory to that. And what we do is we want to cling to the one and reject the other. But what we must do, according to this work, is consciously hold those two opposites at the same time. Now this takes some skill. It's not easy to do that because we automatically, we mechanically cling to one and reject the other. So it takes some force to do that. It takes the force of consciousness. And the force of consciousness isn't something that comes in a red bull can. You can't get a double shot of consciousness at the 7-Eleven. You've got to develop it. You've got to gradually develop it in the same way that you would gradually build muscles. You have to work out. But this kind of working out is different Because you can't go to the gym and set a time apart and go to the gym and work out with this or with that you can set a time apart and you can have a special place to work but only so that you can learn the exercises so that you can learn how to do it and then you take it out into the world and you start to live it every day a little bit every day not a lot our estimation of ourselves is contradicted by uncritical self-observation so if you don't want your estimation of yourself contradicted do not uncritically Observe yourself. If you want to be a happy, well-buffered man, don't uncritically observe yourself. Critically observe yourself. If you critically observe yourself, you can stay happy because what you'll do if you critically observe yourself is you'll start to blame other people for the way you are and you'll give up observing yourself very quickly if you're critical about it. Well, that's enough of that. I've had plenty of that. That's not doing me any good at all. That's really introspection and it's a morbid thing. That's not what the work talks about when, they, when it talks about self-observation when we uncritically observe ourselves, when we begin to outgrow imaginary eye the same way that a snake starts to outgrow its skin. Now, do you have any idea how uncomfortable it is for a snake to be bigger than its skin? Well, I can tell you how uncomfortable it is. It's very uncomfortable. Because what the snake will do is try and rub up against something, anything rough. It'll get itself in a position to rub up against something to get that skin peeled off. It will peel its own skin off which can't be that comfortable because the discomfort of outgrowing its skin is greater than the discomfort of peeling it off. This is how we grow. We get more uncomfortable where we are than where we might be. And so we're willing to take the risk. Through uncritical self-observation, we push ourselves and push ourselves to this point of chaos, to this point of tension, to this point of stretching. It's like... I feel like I'm going to pop out of my skin. I feel like I'm going to pop out of myself. I feel like my head's going to split open. And a lot of people quit right there. Well, that's enough of that. This is obviously the wrong thing. This is obviously of the devil. This is obviously evil. This is obviously bad and wrong. Anything makes me feel this bad can't be good. And they quit. And when do they quit? Well, when it's darkest. And when is it going to dawn? Just when it's darkest. It's always darkest just before the dawn. And so just before the dawn, they quit. Let's not talk about them, let's talk about us. How many times have you quit at the darkest time instead of hanging on to the dawn, instead of working through to the dawn? I'll tell you how many times, count my fingers. How many fingers do you see? Too many times. That's how many times you've done it, too many times. And that's excellent counting, (laughs) y'all. Excellent counting. You got them both right. How about that? Nobody said, peace, brother. <laughs> Nobody said, victory, man. Everybody said, two. That's good. We're on the same track here. As we are, we see something unpleasant about us, and we begin to juggle the books. Through false personality, we feel superior to others. We justify our unpleasantness. What example would be this morning, I asked Jennifer if she had done something she told me she was going to do, and she said, no, but I'll I'll do it. Blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, well, that's what you told me before. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, what is that supposed to mean? Because I knew exactly what it was supposed to mean. I said, are you saying yeah, yeah, yeah to me? Or are you saying yeah, yeah, yeah to you? She was saying yeah, yeah, yeah to me. In other words, get off my back, leave me alone, back off, stay out of my life. I don't like you anymore. (laughs) And I said, okay, you really want to keep that state of mind. You want to keep that. You want to defend that and attack the people in your life who support and love you. Because that's the choice. And she didn't say anything. And then I promptly went over, sat down and meditated for an hour and 20 minutes or so. And Jennifer got to think about that (laughs) For, for an hour and 20 minutes or so. And then afterwards, she came up to me. and She said, no, I don't want to keep that. I'm sorry. I said, okay. And I wouldn't have it any other way than her coming to it herself, than her facing it herself, than her seeing that is the contradiction. Here I think I'm really working. Here I think I really want to be with people. Here I think I I really want to be compassionate. Here I think I really want to be vulnerable and open and loving. Here I think I really want to be available. And what I actually do is gut them when they get too close. Now choose, which do you want? I want both. (laughs) And so in order to have both, you must be well buffered. But you can't be that well buffered in a group where people keep on coming up to you and saying, well, what's that about? Well, what do you mean by that? And they won't let it go. So what to do then? Any fool can see what to do. Go find a good group. Get out of that group because those people aren't nice. Those people are all about pointing the finger at you instead of looking at themselves. There's something wrong with those people. Those people are going to keep make you accountable for what you said. (laughs) They really don't know who they are, do they? They really don't know who you are, is what you really mean. So this is what we do. Our estimation of ourselves is contradicted by uncritical self-observation. And so we outgrow imaginary I. And what do we do? We start to juggle the books. The unpleasantness makes us start to feel, I'm superior to you. Well, you have no right to say that to me. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm just in a bad mood, and you should back off and give me some space when you can see that I'm in a bad mood. I mean, it's not my fault that I'm in a bad mood. It's never our fault. This is what well-buffered people behave like. Does this sound familiar? Is anyone feeling well-buffered? Okay, good. I like to check every once in a while and see if I'm with the right group. The problem is, we're not superior. We're the same. We look at other people and we think we're superior to them. I work harder than you do. I'm more awake than you are. I spend more time meditating. I spend more time reading. I spend more time studying. I spend more time exercising. And it's paid off. I am better than you. You can't see what you're like, but I can see what I'm like. And that makes me better. It makes me more conscious. That's what we do. But we're not superior. We're not better. We're the same. And that's a bitter pill. We don't like that pill. That sticks right here in our throat. It doesn't get very far down. We are like the moon to ourselves. The moon from the earth only shows us one side. It's always the same side. For thousands of years, people have been looking at the, for generations, people have been looking at the moon, drawing pictures of the moon, taking photographs of the moon, studying the moon. But they've only been able to study one side, the side that is in the light. What light? The light reflected from the sun. So the sunlight bounces off the moon and we see that surface. But because the way the moon moves and the way the earth moves, it's always showing us just that one side. So it's like a face off. And this is what we do. We face ourselves in the same way. We look at the moon, which is our idea of ourselves, imaginary eye, just this bright, beautiful, romantic thing in the sky, high above everything else, the brightest light in the night sky. Oh, isn't it lovely? And it makes us lunatics. (laughs) We go crazy with self-love and self-adoration. Oh, look at how beautiful I am. Look at how high I am. Look at how much brighter I am than all the other lights in the sky. We don't actually say this to ourselves most of the time, but sometimes we do. We see only one side while the other remains in darkness. Uncritical self-observation forms in us observing eye. And that observing eye then grows around it work memory. This enables us to walk around our being. In other words, this enables us to kind of walk around the moon and see the dark side of what we have been looking at the light side the whole time. There's a whole other side to the moon that we have not seen, because we haven't been able to change our position. But uncritical self-observation gives us an observing eye that can then orbit what we are and begin to move all around what we actually are and begin to see what has heretofore been in darkness. It's not a pleasant thing. And if we approach it the way the work tells us to approach it, we can adroitly balance what we find there. If we don't approach it the way the work tells us to approach it, we will crash and burn. We will fall out of orbit. And when we reenter the Earth's atmosphere, we will burn up. So this is why it's important to practice self-observation the way the work says to practice it. We'll see that there's nothing of which we may be accused that isn't true to some extent. Have you ever noticed somebody accuses you of something? Man, it just gets under your skin. It's like that one is going too far. Because that's the thing that you haven't been able to accept about yourself. No, that's the thing that's not in me. That's the thing that I already conquered. And now they're trying to hold me to my past. Now they're trying to to crucify me over the things that I did 10 years ago. And it's just not true because I've overcome those things. Right, I can tell. I can tell by the violence with which you defend yourself. That is always the mark of a man who has really understood his place in the great way of creation. His nothingness. That violent self-defense. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. Facetious. So what's the good news? Here's the good news. Once a buffer has been removed, once it's been destroyed, it can't ever reform itself. Isn't that great news? Like, oh yes! You mean every time that I just get, get, if I can get rid of just one buffer, it can never regrow. It's like seeing the Virgin Mary on a Cinnabon. You know, Once you see the Virgin Mary on a Cinnabon, Cinnabons are never the same after that. Oh, yeah. I know, did I really use that as an example? I'm going to hell, right? I can, I can see it now. Once you have seen, once you have brought something into the light, once you've seen it, you can't not see it. Once you've really seen it, once you've really understood something, once you've really gained it, it's really yours. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to cling to it. It's yours. A buffer's not going to regrow there. It's not going to regrow itself in that place. Besides, there are lots of other things for you to see about (laughs) yourself. You don't have to worry about that, that little thing. But that's the good news. And I, I, I thought that was something I'd like to share with you. We can't feel our nothingness without accepting the other side of the moon, the other side of this circle, the other side of ourselves, the dark side. You're never going to feel your nothingness unless you can see all of you. If you only see the bright side, the light side, the good side, the imaginary side, you'll never feel your nothingness. You'll only feel your puffed up arrogance. You'll only feel how wonderful you are. You won't see your nothingness ever doing that. If you really wish to see your nothingness, in other words, your place in the great ray, your actual place in the great ray, then you'll need to see what you actually are. We must begin To make a seal between the work eyes and the mechanical eyes in us because this is the only way that we're going to be able to see these mechanical eyes is if we have a seal between the work eyes and the mechanical eyes now a seal is not necessarily a wall of separation as i've said before it's a seal it keeps us from being contaminated for example um, the other day i went to uh, the doctors and he put on rubber gloves and the rubber gloves acted like a seal so that my blood wouldn't contaminate his blood or his blood wouldn't contaminate my blood or or his whatever was on his hands wouldn't contaminate whatever part of me he touched. But yet he still touched me. So there was not a wall between us, but there was a seal between us. So I'm using this example so that you get the idea of the difference. And all I'm talking about is the idea. I just want you to get the idea. This is not to be taken literally. This is just to help you find this jumping off point where you can leap into the abyss of the unknown, where you can abandon yourself to your own ignorance and your own nothingness and let yourself, in free fall, find out who you really are. As the fear and the, and the anxiety and all the false of you is kind of separated from you in this free fall, you have the opportunity to find out who you really are. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we make this seal? Well, mechanical talking, bad-mouthing, gossip, things like that, can't be worked against until we've accepted our being. How can you accept your being if all that you see of your being is only half of it, or some part of it, just some part of it? And of course, it's always the, the the bright side of the moon. It's never the dark side. We always see and accept the bright side. How can you accept your being, your wholeness, if all you can see is part of it? If you only live in half of yourself, you can't accept all of yourself. Does this make sense? Yes. You can't accept or deal with mechanical talking, bad-mouthing gossip and all those things until we've accepted our being, until we accepted that all of those things are part of us. Okay, yeah, I'm a liar, I will lie. Put me in the right circumstances, I will lie. If I can't accept that I talk mechanically, I can't change it. If I can't accept that I lie, I can't stop lying. If I can't accept that I'm not always a thoughtful, nice, kind person. I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I must first accept it. So we must first accept these things about ourselves. And this is our work in the beginning. And this is our work for a long, long time, accepting the things that we have systematically, brilliantly, industriously hidden on the dark side of ourselves. Not only must we find them, We must be willing to accept them. And this is where Christianity has fallen short, the self-flagellation. This is where I see the work falls short too because people fall short here. We want to kill the beast. We want to crush it, kill it, make it die, stop it. No, it will become passive, but it's still a part of you. It's just not the part of you that's in control. It's not the part of you that dominates. It's not the part of you that makes the decisions anymore. It's now the part of you that takes orders. And this is the shift that has to occur. See, the planet needs to turn so that it all comes into the light, so that it's not just one part in the light and the rest of it in the darkness, but so that it all comes into the light. And we need to accept it as part of the whole. And we can do that. It is possible to do that if we are not judgmental, if we are uncritical when we begin to look at these things. When you hear someone readily and easily admit that he's a liar, be sure that he has not accepted that he's a liar, because this is not how we do this. Oh yes, well, of course I'm a liar. Well, yes, of course I'm arrogant. Well, of course I'm full of pride. And, And what he hasn't said is, everyone is. And what that means is, I have no clue that this is in me. But I do understand that we all have this. This is not the same thing as uncritical self-observation. This is simply accepting intellectually a concept. It is not the same as facing your own lying, facing your own arrogance, facing your own pride, facing your own nastiness, facing your own unpleasantness, facing your own hatred, facing your own murderous eyes that will kill people who make you uncomfortable. And why don't they? Well, because you're afraid you'll go to jail. That's why they don't. Or you're afraid that they will overpower you and kill you. Or because they're looking and you have to wait until they have their back turned. Whatever. I live in California, so it's okay for me to say whatever. (laughs) Buffers keep us in a half state of knowing and not knowing at the same time. I know that I lie, but I don't know that I lie. I know that I'm proud, but I don't know that I'm proud. I don't know when I'm being proud, I don't know when I'm lying, I don't know when I'm asleep, I don't know when I'm not remembering myself, I don't know when I'm not being nice. And even when I'm not being nice, and I do know when I'm not being nice, I don't know that I'm justifying not being nice. I don't see my own justifications. Yes, I know, but I don't know. So this is this half state of knowing and not knowing that we live in, and this is where the work really has a problem. Because in this half state of knowing and not knowing at the same time where buffers keep us, we can imagine that we are working. We can imagine that we are doing it when all we're doing is just talking about it. Oh, yes, we all lie. Oh, yes, I, I this and I that. I, you know, I see, I read people saying these things and I hear people saying these things and I think, this guy doesn't have a clue. All I'd have to do is make one single Pointed accusation, and trust me, I am very good at this. I can, you know, it's like, I'm like a shark when it comes to somebody else's blood. You know, I can smell one part per million in the water. It can be 10 miles away, and I can sniff it out and find your weak spot. Do you know anyone like that? I mean, besides yourself? (laughs) Obviously, you know me, but we're all that way to some degree. And I think, well, if I were to tell this person this, my guess is his reaction would be negative. He would have an emotional negative response. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> have you ever experienced that? Even though the person was in the work like this morning and I confronted somebody in the work who just yesterday got this great compliment from a guy who's been in the work over 50 years and worked in the real place, you know, in the Holy of Holies in New York in the real foundation with the real teachers and doing the real work. And he told Jennifer that she was, she had it, she nailed it, she knew exactly what the work was. And so Jennifer, you know, so then I come along and I, who, who am I, you know, I'm just like, there's nobody, itinerant nobody, stumbling around over myself, you know, and I say, well, what do you mean by that? do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I have the good housekeeping seal of approval. back off, chump, It's like, okay, I got it. I'll tell you what, when we perceive what we are emotionally, Jesus Christ himself could come down and stand face to face with you and tell you how wonderful you are, and you will walk away with a limp, broken. Because when you're truly broken, when you truly see, when you truly perceive emotionally what you really are, nobody with flowery, flattering words will convince you otherwise. No assault from the intellectual center, or through the intellectual center, or through self-emotion. Because once the emotional center has been cleansed of self-emotions, it doesn't want them back. It's like buffers. Once they've been removed, they can't be regrown. Once you start to cleanse yourself from self-emotion, once your emotional center has been purified, and you begin to purify it, you don't want to let that filth back in. And so people come along offering it to you? No thank you. Your gift can remain with you. I don't want it. The problem of the work is how to awaken the emotional center. When the emotional center is awakened, the context of your entire life changes. The context of you changes. When when the emotional center has been awakened and you start to flush out the self-emotions that have deadened it and kept it putrid and stagnant, just turning on itself constantly, how wonderful I am, how glorious I am, how good I am, blah, 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 self-emotions. When that starts to be washed out, the whole context of who you are begins to change. You don't see yourself as you saw yourself anymore. Self-emotions are taken out of the picture. You, see, you begin to see who you really are. And that's when you start walking with a limp. That's when you become broken bread and poured out wine. When we see emotionally, we see that we don't really remember ourselves. When we see emotionally, we see that we lie. When we see emotionally, we see that we talk mechanically. When we see emotionally, we see we pretend to work on ourselves. Test it! Notice how you are when you're accused. Do you squirm? Do you wriggle like a fish out of water? Do you flop? Do you somehow start to justify yourself? If you do that, you're testing it, then what you're seeing is you can't accept the accusation. If you can't accept the accusation, you have not seen it in you. If you have not seen it in you, you have not done the work. What is the work? To increase consciousness. To increase consciousness of what? How wonderful you are? No, you don't need any more consciousness of that. That's called imagination, imaginary eye. What you need is to see who and what you actually are. And that is the purpose of this work, to increase your consciousness of yourself. And once you increase your consciousness of yourself, accept yourself. And you know, if you're not busy judging everyone else and everything that's wrong with them, when you find that in yourself, it'll be a whole lot easier to accept it. Well, that's the way I am. I'd like to be some other way, but that's the way I am. Until you accept it, you're not going to move beyond it. You're yeah. going to be stuck on it, just as if you'd stepped barefoot in a puddle of superglue. This work will, be so, it will become so grim that you won't be able to continue unless you can accept what uncritical self-observation shows you. See, if you can't accept what uncritical self observation shows you, you have to quit the work, or you have to kill yourself. I don't see. The, I don't see what other choice there is. You either quit the work, you stop uncritically observing yourself. if you're uncritically observing yourself, but you still have judgments about what you're seeing, and where do those judgments manifest? Well, they manifest on other people. They don't manifest about yourself. But if you uncritically observe yourself and you say, oh, yes, I see that I'm a liar. But then someone else lies and you have a judgment about that and you attack it there. Can you see that you've really just attacked yourself? Mm -hmm. It's like this whole big thing about cults. You know, this guy's a cult leader. I was reading something the other day. This guy's a cult leader. He's in the pejorative sense and blah, blah, blah. blah. I know. I was in this cult for 16 years. Really? What were you doing for 16 years? I was following this cult leader. I was totally deceived by him. It had nothing to do with me. I I was the innocent bystander. I was taken advantage of by this horrible person. Don't even sell that crap to me because I'm not buying it. I'm not buying finger-pointing. I'm not buying making other people wrong. I'm not buying being a victim. I'm not buying these things so I don't care how you package them. I can sniff them out through the packaging. I'm not buying it because I know that it exists in me. I'm a great cult leader. Now, because I know that, I don't have to be that. The people that worry me are the ones who don't know that they, they, they have the potential. I am a very charismatic character. I understand that people get devoted to me and infatuated with me. And so I keep that right there in front of me. And so you will feel the point of that from time to time when you get too close in the wrong way. I won't allow it. It's too expensive for me and for you. It's when we don't see that about ourselves that we have a problem with it. Acceptance destroys the personality and the imagination about oneself. When you start to accept what's there, personality, false personality begins to evaporate. Your imagination of yourself begins to evaporate. Real self-observation must take the place of imaginary self-observation. We've gotta limp before we learn to walk. You gotta hurt before you go running down the street. And then when you take a step, you count your steps. You watch where you put your foot because you know it's going to cost you something. This is a good way to live life. We forget the world is full of sleeping people. We forget that nothing can go right, but we keep trying to fix it rather than awaken. You see, the problem with the world being asleep is it's not outside of us. This is inside of us. We, you, I are asleep. We are asleep. It's not they are asleep. We are asleep. This hypnotic sleep is in us. We've got to awaken to ourselves. And this work shows us how. Well, then why aren't people awakening to themselves As if if this work shows them how? Because they're pointing it out there. And they're not pointing it in here. If you're ranting about a cult leader, if you're ranting about a cult, if you're ranting about this person, if you're ranting about that person, turn it in here. Yes, that's the way I am. What am I doing? I'm ranting about people who rant about people who rant about people who rant about people. Well, what is that? It's the same thing. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say I love this work. And I love the people who have come to a place where they too begin to value and love this work. And I want to say to all of us, look, let's just wake ourselves up. Let's stop worrying about the old wicked world and let's start to wake ourselves up. Let's stop talking about all the ideas and let's start applying them to ourselves. False personality constantly feeds us on self-emotions. There's plenty of food to go around. It all begins with self-observation. We have to see that we're not what we thought we were. Personality has to become passive so that essence can grow. When you accept every accusation and insult without a violent reaction. It's a laugh, isn't it? I can't even imagine that. (laughs) Good. Can you accept some accusations and insults without a violent reaction? Have you noticed a difference? Okay. Then we're making progress then let's keep our noses to the grindstone. Let's keep doing those things that made that change possible. We keep going with the uncritical self-observation. When we can accept every accusation and insult without the violent reaction, we begin to understand the place from which this work can grow and produce the new man that we are trying to allow to come forth. I must become less. Parkinson must diminish and this new man that the work is building in the womb of the workroom, this new man then will come forth. Notice what upsets you most violently. Notice what makes you the most indignant. Start to observe yourself there. We all love to observe ourselves in the areas where we're doing well, but what I'm asking you to do is start to observe yourself in the area that makes you most indignant, the area that gives you gets you the most violent reaction. Start to observe yourself there. Understand that you must break before you mend. You cannot mend wholeness, and the false personality is whole in and of itself. It doesn't need anything else. It has imagination which satisfies every center. You've got to break it somehow, and the only way to break it, the only way to put a crack in false personality, is with uncritical self-observation. One other thing you've got to realize, that in this work you must go down before you can go up. You must realize your nothingness before essence can grow, before the new man can be produced in you. You've got to go down before you go up. You've got to break before you mend. So take heart. This is doable. You have verified this. No matter how many people around you are not doing it, it doesn't matter. If one person, and you are that one person, can apply uncritical self-observation and begin to change the context of yourself, and if you have verified that you've been able to do that, then this work works. And if this work works, then work it. If it doesn't, find what does work. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.